knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we're here to become better habitat managers. What's going on, everybody? It is a ice cold week here in January, and... Um, Happy to be sitting here late at night recording the intro to our podcast we're launching. Today's episode is going to be with Al Tomeshko. Uh, Al James on Facebook. He is our quote-unquote Habitat Podcast soil guy. Um, we're going into a soil series this spring. So with the price of fertilizer going through the roof, the you know the, the price of... Uh, everything you know roundup and herbicide or herbicide going through the roof uh, we have to be more conscious on our soil and how we're doing things if we want to be more efficient um you've got money to burn and you can find supplies great but for most of us we're trying to be more efficient and more calculated with our food plots and soil health so what we're doing here is we are going through a soil series brand new series we're starting this year as I've said before, we're trying to dive further into the detail this year on all of our topics. So uh, we covered a lot of high-level stuff. We're diving in deep now, more the 10,000-foot look versus the 30,000-foot look. So here is episode one of Al Tomechko, the HP soil guy, on uh, everything, you know, defining soil health, what that is, why do we care, um, why is no-till popular, Fertilizer prices, herbicide, or I keep saying that, herbicide prices. CEC, what does that mean? Soil chemistry. We go into some listener questions. This is actually a two-part series for this conversation. We went pretty long, 
So we're going to do two episodes here, and then we're going to continue to break this down and unpack it further as we dive into some more topics. But this is the first half of a two-part series. The second half will be next week or the week after, most likely the week after. And um, we want to get you guys you know, primed, thinking about soil, thinking about this this year in 2022, what you're going to do with your plots. Are you tilling? Are you not? What are your plans? So we have a really in-depth conversation, a lot of good information, a lot of, you know, detailed information on soil, um, some of it over my head even. So get ready to, you know, get your notepads out and, and be ready for this conversation because Al is, this is his passion. He likes doing this soil thing, you know, as we all should, to be honest with you. I mean, it's kind of how Mother Nature would do it. So it's interesting to to hear a guy who's passionate about this and, and really I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. So ex- excited to hear this and keep going down our soil series. We'll probably do a probably half do- dozen episodes or so in the soil series. But um, first here tonight, Mr. Al Tomeshko, the HP soil guy. Uh, before we get to that though, <clears throat> I want to let everybody know that if you're around Grand Rapids, Michigan this weekend, um, Friday, I will be at the, Hunting Time Expo with the Michigan Whitetail Pursuit guys. So I'll be in their booth off and on throughout Friday. Uh, I think the hours that day, Friday, are 1 to 9. And when I launch this will be tomorrow, so we will be uh, a day ahead of the show. So if you're going to the show, be sure to swing by Michigan Whitetail Pursuit and uh, come say hi. Um, There's a brand new season of DVD out this year that will show a bunch of cool hunts that haven't aired online. You haven't seen them yet. If you've been following MWP, but you can get the DVD. It's it's cheap. It's awesome. You're supporting Michigan companies. You're supporting good Christians. It's really a cool uh, program to support as a DVD. So it, it's good to have a hunting camp. I'm gonna have one up at my deer camp from now on, um, along with my other one through you know 12 seasons up there. So uh, if I'm not at the MWP booth, you'll probably catch me over at Packer Max. I'll be over there talking to Lincoln. Um, a couple of good seminars going on, so I'm going to check that out. But come to the Hunt Time Expo. It should be a good time. You know, deer hunting is always on our mind, and um, I'll be there with a couple of great companies. But uh, find me in the Michigan Whitetail Pursuit booth. If you guys are there, love to see you. I'd love to talk habitat. Uh, please come up and say hi. Now, we're doing the Habitat Hook giveaway. This is our first announcement on this giveaway. So I'm still putting it all together, but... The basis is going to be a brand new top-of-the-line Habitat hook. I'm going to buy it from Nick at Nation's Creations, and then I'm going to give it away to one of the listeners. So all you have to do to register for this Habitat hook giveaway is go to HabitatPodcast.com. On the homepage, when you arrive, scroll down and enter your email address. So that's going to put you on a list of habitat managers that we email, you know, our podcast episodes to, our blog posts to, anything new we have going on. We're building that list and trying to keep our, you know, our core uh, habitat managers, you know, in reach of us and in case Facebook dies, in case Instagram dies, or for some reason we all go down, we at least have have that for you guys. Um, that's our goal. So go to habitatpodcast.com. Scroll on the homepage. It'll say sign up to receive, you know, most recent podcast episodes, etc. 
put your email in there. You are entered in to win a brand new Habitat hook. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to go with the full aluminum version, top of the line, extended, costs the most money, and give that away. I think that's what I'm going to do. Um, so just, you know, if you want a Habitat hook, I don't, guys, I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is no fluff. I do not go in the woods with my chainsaw without my Habitat hook. I swear. On my life, on my kids, everything. Like, it's that important to me to run that tool as I hinge cut and TSI and, and work those trees over and open that canopy. I can't imagine working without it. I'm a one-man team. Maybe that's why. But I always love that tool. I've used mine for like four or five years now, and it looks brand new. So these are high-quality tools made by Nick over there in Charlotte, Michigan. And um, we're giving one away. I think that that aluminum version is $250 value, something like that. I'll have to look that up. And I'm going to talk about it every episode coming up just so we all get the picture. But check that out, HabitatHook.com. Um, go to habitatpodcast.com, drop your email in there, and we will be giving away a brand new aluminum habitat hook. There, I just committed to it. Uh, moving on, I want to thank everybody who's been leaving us great reviews. As you've heard me say before, uh, my wife was out helping me this week. She sent out a bunch of decals, reaching out to people who uh, you know didn't have their address on there. She got that covered. We're sending out five-inch Habitat podcast decals to everybody who leaves us a good review. Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you do, let us know. It's all in the show notes below this podcast. Scroll down, you can find out pretty much about anything I'm talking about right now. And uh, it'll help us out, help you out. Love to get you, you know, repping that decal in your truck. We'd love to see it. If you have a decal, send us a picture. Uh, go go to the Habitat chat group on Facebook. Post a picture of your decal on your truck out doing Habitat work. It sounds silly, but like I'd love to see that, and I'll share it. I think it'd be really cool. Um, we like to see what you guys are doing. We are just like you guys, and we enjoy seeing the projects that you're working on as we're doing it on our end, too. It's very cool to see what everybody else is up to. So, you know, share yourself with us. The Habitat chat group is great. We'll talk about that in the uh, podcast here with Al. But I just want to thank everybody for that. Um, our land plans are in full swing. Uh, we're about booked up here in Michigan, but we are booking in, you know, we have our, our HP land manager team. We have Zach over in Wisconsin. We have Jesse over in Iowa. We have Phil down in southern Indiana. We have Brian in Pittsburgh. And we have our other Phil over in northeast PA. We are set up to cover a lot of the Midwest and the Northeast. Um, and we're willing to travel. Like I'm going down to Mississippi to help a friend Raleigh down there on his hundred acres. So, um, we might be going to Texas and we might be going to Alabama too. We have some things in the works. We're willing to help you guys. If you need it, just let us know, uh, habitatpodcast.com slash land plans. I want to thank Packer Max called the Packers Lincoln. Uh, I'll see you Friday. Thank you for donating that that call to Packer to that awesome cause you did. I shared that in the group. You're a super guy. That's awesome. Um, the Habitat Hook, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras. Guys, there's an awesome camera special coming up in February. Tune in next week. I'll tell you all about that. Um, Morse Nursery and Afflictor Broadheads. All right. I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Let's get into it with Al Tomeshko 
aka Al James, the HP Soil Guy, and we're going to cover everything healthy soil, conversation number one. And it's on, Mr. Al Tomeshko, the Habitat mm-hmm. Podcast Soil Guy. What's going on, brother? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, Kids are in bed, kind of, sort of, being quiet, so got a cold beer, ready to talk soil with my man al and yeah i'm doing good man how about you doing good man um is michigan's deer season officially over yeah the first of the year they wrap us up there's a couple zones where you can you can hunt like urban deer but that's further east than me and i don't really yeah haven't done it so that'd be cool to have a spot or something like a honey hole but um yeah ohio's a marathon man i mean it goes till February 9th, I think. And like I've had deer shed out since like muzzleloader season. Not all of them, but like I've had shed bucks since I think muzzleloader this year was January 8th. And yep. I was tagged out, so I didn't hunt and we're trying to move. Life's busy, but uh, but yeah, it's just kind of a crazy, kind of crazy, but also it's kind of like a nice feeling. I always feel like the end of the season's like, all right, let's get into some habitat. Well, yeah, and that's kind of where we're at now. I mean, we're it's January. We're here talking about soil and soil health, and I'm excited about it. And, I mean, we covered your your tag out story about a month ago or so, episode yeah. 159. You've been on episode 93, episode 79. I know you go back before that, but my 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 interweb is not pulling up your name. I know you go back further than that with us. Um Again, happy to have you on. Give us a quick little rundown, who you are, where you're from, what kind of deer you like to shoot, and uh, we'll get into the very interesting topic, very knowledgeable topic, or a knowledgeful topic here um, on healthy soil. Sure, yeah. Uh, Al James on Facebook, uh, Albert Demetrico, um, <clears throat> as you said in the beginning, um, Born and raised in Ohio. I've lived all over the state of Ohio, uh, from northeastern Ohio to southeastern Ohio. Um, manage uh, our family property in eastern Ohio um, and have for, I think we're going on 12 years now. Time really has, has flown there and um, I've really enjoyed that. And um, that's where I do most of my habitat work. Uh, I do hunt deer in a few different areas, um, depending on kind of what opportunity arises. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my, my quick 30,000 foot view of who I am and, uh, you know, what, what I'm, what I'm about. And I know you weren't always about, you know, the soil side of things as much, right? So when we first started doing this podcast and, and you and I met and became friends and we're talking about all this stuff over the years, you were concerned about soil, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, I don't want to call it, wasn't a key point as much maybe as it is now. I'm sure it was, but not as much as it is now, right? Now it's one of your main goals, it seems, um, to, to learn as much as you can about the subject and, and implement this on your farm 12 years in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, um, I think anybody who owns property 
you have to have secondary goals set up other than just shooting deer. Because if it's only to shoot deer, first off, <clears throat> depending on where you live, the season <laughs> is only so long, right? So, so you have to have some other draw to the land. Um, be it timber management, which I'm really passionate about, about that as well, and invasive species control and, um, you know, setting myself up for, for better timber harvest in my lifetime and, and hopefully later in my lifetime and hopefully um, my, my children's lifetime. Um, so I'm very passionate about that. And soil was one thing I think I, I started to get interested in it before even owning a piece of ground because I used to be on the QDMA forums and various other forums, right? And there just was so much information out there and so much of it was contradictory of the next. I mean, you could read one post on liming and the next post would be different. And, and it's very, um, it's, I mean, it's very much solidified and backed by anecdotal uh, evidence of, you know, well, well, works for me. Here's my picture of a turnip, you know, or, or what have you. And I remember asking, I had a, a very good friend, uh, when we first bought the farm and he was a wildlife biologist and uh, he had come out to the farm and, and um, actually I'm really, really good friends. And I started asking questions about, you know, soil testings. He's like, Hey man, I'm a wildlife biologist. Like I don't, I mean, I know ins and outs, but like, I don't know some of the things that you're asking. And I just kind of said, well, all right, I guess I'll just, you know, do what I'm reading and, and follow everybody's suit, you know, and I don't know, it just, it always stuck with me, this, this interest in soil. And I think it was really further driven by the fact that not only am I really passionate about wildlife and growing food plots and um, maximizing my time and dollars, but I'm also, a, a, I do a huge garden every year. Um, you know, I, I plant around 200 plus tomato plants and I do around 150, 130 to 150 pepper plants um, just between those two crop species. So when you then add, I mean, I do beans and, and corn and pumpkins and sunflowers and things like that. So when I got more and more involved in that um, over the last about half a decade, I really got more and more interested in that. Um, it, it was something that I wanted to then say, okay, how can I make this food more nutrient dense? How can I make this soil better? Uh, so I just kind of dove in and, and um, you know, I'm just somebody who I'm, I'm not going to read something on Facebook or a forum and just take that as gospel. And soil was something I was interested in enough that I said, okay, I mean, I like to read. I think it's, it's, it's important um, for expanding how you, how you look at things. And, um, I just started reading books on it and I don't know how many I've read at this point, but yeah, I've read quite a few books and articles on it. And, um, the more I read, the more interested I was in that particular topic, because there is a lot of topics and subtopics within, uh, soil. Yeah. Um, that's why we're here because I know a little about a lot when it comes to soil and 
I mean, even working up this, this discussion, I'm just going to sit back and listen because you've really taken it and kind of been a champion of the soil health, um, which is really cool because it's helped us as the listeners help me help Brian help helps everybody who's who listens and, and follows along. I think that was it kind of an out of necessity? Like what, how, how is your soil in Ohio on your farm? Yeah. And so that kind of a force thing. Cause you've always had pretty good plots going back to the QDMA forum days. I remember the high tower plot. No, it's not called high tower plot. Is it? High point probably. Is high point. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, how's that soil down there? I mean, it's, it's highly variable. Right. Um, in our particular area of the state, you're kind of in the foothills of Appalachia. So you don't. It's not like central Ohio, rich, dark, chocolate cake looking soil. I mean, you just aren't going to have that um, or at least not often. I mean, even even some of the, the low lying areas um, can be really heavy, heavy, heavy clay. I mean, it's unbelievable. So very heavy soils. Um, is, is pretty indicative of that area or pretty typical of that area. Um, but I, I mean, one could argue with, with the right equipment and, and patients that you can do a lot with fairly high um, or heavy soils. I, I won't jump ahead. I'll just say heavy soils. You can, can do a lot with them, um, but it still costs a lot of money especially when you only look at a traditional soil test. And that was somewhat something that really was interesting to me is I'm like, wait a second. So I've read all these, these books, right. From Dr. Bronson Strickland that we, we, we got to interview, which was like highlight of my life. Um, Dr. Steve Damaris. And, you know, you understand this, this fluid concept of, deer management, right? Not just hunting, like this idea of deer management and how are we going to grow a healthier herd or how are we going to impact a healthier herd? And you, you look at these things like, okay, I have X number of does. I have have X number of food plot or acres of food plots. And, um, what are my neighbors doing, et cetera. Um, in most areas, not all, but in a lot of areas in the mid Midwest, especially after the crops are off, if you're in an area with crops, we're not, um, you just need, you need more food. You know, you've been in, in Southeastern Ohio and Eastern Ohio. It's, it's most areas. They just need more food relative to the number of deer. And I kept thinking, okay, I'm doing at that time, you know, five acres of food plots. And that's like the fertilizer bills a thousand bucks. Well, now I'm doing 10 acres twice a year. And it's like, okay, now the fertilizer bills, you know, two grand or whatever. I don't remember 1800 bucks, 1200 bucks, something like that. And I just thought there, this, I can't, this is not sustainable. You know, I, I need to find another way to grow good food plots because I want to make several of the plots bigger. You know, I'd like to, to mulch some areas out or cut some areas out and drag it and, and uh, drag the trees out, make them bigger. It's like, I ain't going to be doing that with, with that type of cost. And a lot of the old, information that I had read was don't ever skip on fertilizer. Don't ever do this or don't ever do that. And, and, you know, perfect seed bed and all these things, which got to start somewhere. I mean, I think, I think that 
without doing some of the thing, those things, you know, I, I would be where I'm at today. So, I mean, I used to till everything. I used to do um, a ton of fertilizer. Obviously, like I said, some of the bills were outrageous, um, which is awesome learning experience because I wouldn't have got to where I am today. But I do think that that's kind of what drove me to say, wait a second here. There's got to be another way. Yeah. I, I mean, well said. People start looking at a $2,000 fertilizer bill once or even twice a year. Um, I can see how people would start to try to figure something different out. Um, the, the soil you're talking about and the way you've tilled it for years, I mean, let's talk about healthy soil and, and what maybe your soil looks like now or, or the direction you're trending to, like, can we define healthy soil in, in layman's terms or, or how would you define healthy soil? Well, so it's, let me clarify one thing. So what pretty happened, vague, pretty big question, but that's fine. No, you know. no, it's a, it's a great question. I don't know if I have an answer for it, but I, I want to clarify one thing. So um, I specifically remember organic matter being this, this holy grail of measurement whether whether it be the QDMA forums or or any other forums, you know, I'm probably going to reference that one because it was so popular and I was active on there. But but it was this holy grail measurement, you know, or organic matter, organic matter, organic matter, and that comes and on I, your soil test. It's a there's a reading on your soil test for organic matter, correct? Yes, absolutely. And um, you know, depending on where you're at, I mean, average is probably um, between one and six percent is probably fairly average, depending on where you're at in the Midwest, like, you know, um, a really sandy soil is probably going to have a lower OM and a, and a, a higher um, organic matter it could be six to 8% would be relatively high um, in, in those types of soils. You can get some crazy organic matter levels in like mucks, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, but I remember that there was this trend happening right? In this no-till or throw and mow or throw and grow. And this is what really started to intrigue me because guys say, this will help your organic matter. So I, I left the tiller in the barn for as long as I could. You know, I think some years I, I started only do, tilling once a year. You know, I, I'd lightly till and I'd plant my fall crop, you know, and then for years, I mean, three, four, four years, I had primarily clover plots um, that I would just bush hog once a year, maybe. And then some years I'd just let them go. And then I bush hog them and I'd throw radish in there and rye grain and that would be it. And it would, it would work fairly decent. But I kept pulling these soil samples and I'm like, I'm not really seeing any increase in organic matter. So told me one of two things. One, I'm, I'm not fully understanding something. Or two, the calibration techniques they use for organic matter testing is highly variable, which I do recommend anybody who's interested in that does YouTube um, the processes because 
it definitely is. I mean, it's definitely variable. Like there's just, it goes into an oven. It dries overnight. What, what if the guy has a cup of coffee in the morning one day and it dried a little bit longer? I mean, there, you know, what was the pre- barometric pressure in the room? Like, or the weather, did it help to uh, humidity just to impact things? What was the humidity in the room? Maybe would be a better example of how that could impact things, you know? Um, wow. But nonetheless, cause they basically burn off and weigh it. And that's how they come up with, with our number. So I, I do feel like there's some, not some, there's definitely variability there. So um, that's kind of what, what further led me. So I haven't tilled my ground in, oh my gosh, it, it's probably been like, I'm thinking about selling the tiller. If anybody's interested, shoot me a message on Facebook. <laughs> but, uh, because it's been sitting, I mean, it's been sitting in a barn for like six years, you know? Um, but what, Going back to your question, how, how do you define soil health? I think that's very much relative to the person whose soil that is. Sure. And I, I'm very careful with wording this. Um, and hopefully it doesn't come across as dodging the question. But I use an example often of a, of a farmer friend of mine who I've got to know, and I, I've spoke quite for hours about soil with him. And he's in his late 60s, and he farms like 900 acres. And they have soil that they've done corn on corn for 50 years on. And his dad did it before him, obviously, because he's every year corn, corn on corn. And hmm. he's still mobile, mobile plows that field and plows that corn under and it is some of the heaviest clay soil like you it's so heavy it's unbelievable and he's like i have to i mean he uses a it's like a 350 horsepower caterpillar with tracks um, to plow that field but to him that soil is still healthier today than when he first started, because they're using more biological um, primers and stimulants and things like that, that they're spraying on that field to help the breakdown of the corn stalks after they're planting. Their yields have not uh, suffered. You know, they're still running, I don't remember what he told me, 200 bushel corn, roughly 180 to 200 bushel corn off that field. Their inputs of nitrogen are not astronomical. Um, So to that gentleman, right? That's very healthy soil. And I still think that that's a win. I think sometimes we can get too polarized in this idea of how do we define healthy soil? And it has to be the way I define it. It has to have no inputs and it has to, or, or the opposite way, right? You know, well, I define it as a perfect seedbed. So I think there's a happy medium there. And I think that when you want to define this healthy soil, I think that we can, um, take a step back and look at multiple ways um, to identify that a really good way to identify a healthy microbial population within a soil system is using a Haney test and a um, CO2 respiration, which is essentially uh, your, your microbes are um, giving off carbon dioxide, right? So CO2 um, they're giving off CO2 in, in the soil. So, um, I believe Jason Snavely just had Dr. Rick Haney on like a few weeks ago, 
Um, and they talked about, which I would have thought it would have been opposite. If, if I, or, yeah, I think I was thinking it would have been opposite. And what they had mentioned is like after a rain event, you'll see a CO2 burst um, and things. So a higher CO2 level um, is, is indicative of a, of a, a representative of a, a stronger microbial population. So that could be a good sign of, of um, a really good soil. Um, soil aggregates forming, right? Smell, texture, um, appearance of the, of, of the soil. So I kind of am dodging the question because I just think it's highly dependent on somebody's situation, their job, their scope. Um, how do I define it personally? I would say I look for soil aggregates forming. Um, Can you explain what those are real quick? Soil aggregation is essentially um, instead of soil looking like dust, right? Like a flower, like having the texture of flour. Soil aggregation is when soil is able to be held together and it's porous and it looks like chocolate cake, right? That's really good soil aggregation. Um, that's like when, you, when you pull the roots out, you have soil clumping to the root mass itself, right? Yeah. So, so when you, um, those are, when you pull out the roots and there's, there's a ton of, um, basically the roots are covered in soil. That's a really common sign. What that's called is a rhizosheath, which is essentially um, from high microbial activities, bringing the soil back to the plant and going in through what they call the rhizophagy cycle, which is where a microbe goes up into the plant and actually delivers nutrients to the plants. In some cases consumed by the plant, some cases actually comes back into the soil and cycles back through um, and, and hence the term cycle, right? It continues on and cycles through. Dr. James White talks about that. Aggregates are more so caused from when you have a high micro, mycorrhizal fungal network in your soil, or at least, I don't know if I should have said high, but you have a, a, a well-established mycorrhizal fungal network in your soil and your roots are exuding uh, root exudates, right? Carbonic acid and, and uh, sugars and, and things like that. And it's communicating with your um, fungal network and the fungal network is, is consuming some of those, right? And they're releasing what's called glomalin, which is essentially like a, a glue that helps hold the soil together. Um, and it allows the soil to have better water infiltration. Um, and of course, better fungal networks, better root channels for the roots to grow into, um, et cetera. So um, the, the rate at which well aggregated soil can absorb water versus not aggregated soil is quite impressive. Nice. Yeah, I think that's a, I don't think you dodged a question. I think you explained how you, to answer a question very um, correctly in a very broad way because it's, uh, soils are different everywhere we go. Our goals are different everywhere we go. And um, well done. Well done. No, thank you. I mean, soil is this huge discussion these days. I know I haven't tilled my plots and probably three possibly four falls so far and it's not just you know necessity time the what we're talking about here the way to do this saves so much time time is money to me and 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 that is huge but it's it's like it's popular these days right till it all under is not what we're hearing about um Granular fertilizer, how much has that gone up? Do you, any idea in percentage? 
I want I want that gun. I haven't even shopped it recently. Yeah. But. I haven't I haven't shopped it. I mean, I haven't looked at granular <laughs> in quite a while. Um, so I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not yeah, sure. I, but I've heard same. some pretty pretty wild numbers. Um, you know, and some pretty pretty impressive percentages uh, of increase. Yeah, I think uh I think it's imperative that we talk about this at least and, and get people thinking especially this year with, with fertilizer costs, people want to decrease their herbicide use um, costs of, of Roundup or Gly is shot through the roof as well. So let's, let's keep this train rolling here. Um, something you brought up earlier when we were talking about what to cover here tonight, you brought up CEC. CEC is a better way to grade your soil, if you will, maybe on a scale than what you used to use organic matter for. Is that accurate? Let's let's hear well, about CEC and kind of what your take is on that and, and why you think it's important. Yeah. So CEC, because it's called the cation, cation, excuse me, exchange capacity. And I think because of the, the name and also where it's located on a lot of soil tests, it's kind of off to the side or up on the top in a skinny little line. Um, you, people, folks have a tendency to just, ah, I don't need to know that. However, um, CEC is the ability for cations to be held in your soil. So the higher the number is representative of it can be correlated to, to the type of soil you have, right? So if you have a very sandy soil, you're going to probably have between one and five CEC. Um, a lot of soils in Ohio are probably going to be between 10 and 20, 22 CEC, pretty, pretty high, um, which is going to allow a higher CEC is going to allow you to hold more cations. So you're not going to see the leaching of calcium, um, the leaching of magnesium, you're, you're not going to see uh, high fluctuations in, in liming, right? So lower CECs, you might have to put, you might, somebody might say, oh my gosh, I have a two CEC and uh, they recommended 2000 pounds of lime and I put 2000 pounds of lime down and, and the next year, you know, I, I had, uh, I had to put 2000 pounds of lime down again. It's like, well, where did it go? You know, well, well, you probably had some leaching occurring, um, and that, that can continue continue on with, with other nutrients as well. So real sandy soils, low CEC. Um, there is a correlation between higher organic matters levels in your soils and higher CEC. So like pure organic matter muck soils are like 40, 50 CEC. Wow. So there are actually areas in like central, west central Ohio. Um, I think they're called like the swamps where they grow like tomatoes and things like that. And they're literally like black. Like they were a swamp like a thousand years ago, right? Now, in order to do that, you've had to run like a million miles of drain tile and, and things of that nature. So most food plotters are probably not getting into that type of um, CEC. It would be highly unusual, I think, because I mean, it, this is like an area where they're growing crops that was um, took a lot of uh, capital and infrastructure dollars in order to do so. Um, so your average CECs, are going to probably be between like two and, uh, and like 20, um, in the Midwest, obviously Michigan is some sandy soil. So it's going to be lower. You nailed it. I'm looking at some old soil tests and back in 17, I started at two, two to three, 
19 was like six, six to seven, you know. So yeah, yeah I think sandy soils. Very sandy, very sandy. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's, I mean, two is really low. Um, and that's going to impact like how you put things, like you're going to be more likely to leach nitrogen, right? Like let's say you do want to put nitrogen fertilizer down and you're, you have a low, low CEC. Well, you go dump 300 pounds of nitrogen fertilizer down, you know, we already know the volatility of nitrogen in, in general from a lot of um, different researches that, that has been done. And now you go dump it on a low C. So it's just, it's just combating the issue more, right? It's, it's making it more complex. So you're likely to even leach more um, than you might want to. So in, in a lower CEC soil, it might make sense to be more focused on trickling on your applications, if you do in fact want to do that um, with a granular fertilizer, then dumping it on because you're already uh, susceptible to leaching. Pro tip there, guys. If anybody wasn't listening, that's that's a good one. I think, um, and and you're being you're able to see this or know this just based on the numbers from the test. You can tell the type of soil or the attributes the soil has based on what you're seeing, and then you can. <laughs> discern how to apply the solution a trickle versus a dump on till in let it all evaporate and leach out um i like that i like that we're just getting started here and i'm learning a ton already al i love it i think is there anything else we should cover on cec just to get that you know bullet kind of stuck in in our heads on i mean the way i like to define i mean there's CEC is one of those ones I keep going back to it. I don't know how many articles I've read on it and, and understanding um, you know, there's a lot of chemistry that goes into, into soil and it's, it's a balance between soil chemistry and soil biology. And um, I, I recommend people just doing a Google search on it, but in, in layman's terms, the way I like to think of CEC is just think of it as the soil makeup, you know, what, what is the soil like if it's more clay, it's going to be higher. If it's more sand, it's going to be lower. Um, and at least it gives you kind of a starting point as to, okay, what kind of soil am I dealing with? Great point. Well said. Speaking of soil, uh, as this whole episode in the next one will be soil chemistry. Now, like I've said on the couple on the last couple of podcasts this year in 2022, we're diving into this stuff deep we're going we're going from high level thirty thousand foot chats to really diving in detail on a lot of our podcasts this year so i'm loving this let's let's dive into soil chemistry um you mentioned something earlier about how it's important to understand the synergistic and antagonistic properties of soil what does that mean so i think we've covered some of it a little bit in ways but explain how that can kind of how, how we can grasp it, uh, maybe in layman's terms. Yeah, so I think there's a, um, it, it, it's been created quite a while ago, but it, it's called the Molders diagram. Hopefully the I didn't put that term. Okay. And it basically looks like a circle and it has all of these uh, soil nutrients around the circle, right? And what it does is it highlights how, certain nutrients are antagonistic of another one, right? So for example, calcium 
is has an antagonistic relationship with magnesium. So it's difficult, if not impossible, I don't like to talk in absolutes, but um, it's difficult, if not impossible, to have both of them increasing simultaneously. Not saying you couldn't increase both of them over a certain duration, but it would be very difficult to increase them both simultaneously because they have antagonistic relationship with one another. So as one goes up, the other one goes down, right? So it's an inverse correlation is is another way to to think of it. Um, So you also have things like, um, it also will highlight things that are synergistic with with one another. Um, You also have things that are um, not really as closely related to one another, right? So um, you can see things where as uh, nitrogen and copper, I think is another example of an antagonistic uh, relationship. So it's important to know that because you could be dumping on your macros and negatively impacting your micros, right? So now that's, that's hard to, to discern, right? In, in my opinion, like if you look at a crop, you go, man, I put my nitrogen, I put my, my, my N, my P, my K, right? And those are and your we, macros, correct? Yes, yes. So macronutrients. They, you know, it said put on 200 pounds of N. And well, I, I didn't really tell them that I had a legume crop growing here for three years. And um, it was just a conventional soil test. They didn't check for my nitrate levels and it was just cheaper soil tests or whatnot. And, and, uh, you know, I had some extra nitrogen laying in the barns. I, I just put 400 pounds down, you know, or whatever. You grow this crop, maybe it looks really good in the beginning, but then you start noticing, man, I, my root development is, is not as good as I'd like, or, or, you know, the color of the leaves is, is off, you know, and it's funny because the typical response you get is, yeah, it's probably a nitrogen efficiency. Well, it could be so many other things. It could be a copper deficiency. It could be an iron deficiency. It could be caused by um, that antagonistic relationship between these other <clears throat> these other uh, nutrients or, or overabundance of these nutrients. So um, that's just one example of why it's important to understand how when you're adding synthetic chemistry right to to soil. Um, there's, there's already chemistry existing, right? It's, it's in the soil. It's part of the soil. It's, it's biological, but it, it is, it's impacted by, um, by these things, right? There, there's these relationships that exist. And um, one of the things that's often referenced in Neil Kinsey's book, uh, Hands on Agronomy, is, is in uh, William Albrecht, uh, Dr. William Albrecht had, had written about this dating back to like the 1920s and 30s. But, uh, you know, understanding your soil colloid and how calcium and magnesium and potassium take up percentages of that soil colloid and how one will push off the other one. Um, and in understanding that is, is quite important along with the antagonistic and synergistic relationships um, versus just kind of dump the kitchen sink at them and see what happens. Sure. That's way deeper than a lot of people probably never thought about amending their soil, right? I mean, what, what, no, what many food say the majority, yeah, the food, uh, yeah, true, the food plotters. Well, that's probably who we're talking to here. Yeah. I just, um, 
are there any other antagonistic issues we might want to watch out for that maybe we have in the past? Um, you know, we, we had a listener question on way to fix, you know, how do you fix high magnesium in soil? Maybe that's something we can hit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really good question. Um, number one, understanding how, how these cations impact based on the understanding how these cations base saturations impact. One sec. Let's define cation just in case we haven't already. Yeah. So a cation, like your cation exchange capacity is going to yep. be CC. A, pos- a positive charged ion. So calcium, magnesium, potassium, um, et cetera. Those are, are your, your cations. Um, okay. Thanks. Yeah, no, no problem. And so we have to understand that the, if with, with high magnesium in your soil is most of the time, again, I don't like talking absolutes um, because I'm sure some of us say, oh, that is incorrect. But most of the time, very high magnesium-based soils, like that gentleman I was telling you about earlier, planted corn on corn on corn. I saw his soil. He pulled, he showed me, hey, here's my sample. Uh, before he sent it to the lab, I got to hold it in my hand. And um, I, I, it was very tight, very tight. I mean, you could barely crush this with your, your hand. And um, that's pretty typical of very high magnesium soils. So his agronomist was suggesting um, one high calcium baseline needed to be put on every so many years. So again, because of that antagonistic relationship, as calcium goes up, magnesium is going to go what? Down, right? So it's going to push magnesium base saturation lower or push magnesium off the soil colloid. But there's also other elements that, that can have this impact as well such as sulfur. Um, elemental sulfur is one that can be used to actually reduce both calcium and magnesium. Um, typically, it reduces the one that has a higher presence on the soil colloid representative to what it would have, right? So um, magnesium is almost always very typically is lower um, in base saturation than calcium in the overall soil colloid. But if it's, let's say it's at 25%, that's higher than typically than typically would see and and elemental sulfur can help to um to eliminate that right it can help to lower that especially if you're also putting lime down with high high calcium lime the one thing with elemental sulfur is you do want to make sure that you have um good drainage uh, because of the way it works now the other thing is high magnesium soils will typically have a impact on your ph and typically, you have your pH higher than you would like it. Um, the nice thing about elemental sulfur on a higher pH, because so so this is a good example, right? Because you wouldn't necessarily want to put lime down on an already high pH soil to further potentially increase that pH. Elemental sulfur can actually reduce the magnesium, and I forget. I'd have to ask Caleb. Uh, Caleb is a great guy on Facebook. I probably will butcher his last name, Trough, I believe. Um, but uh, he's a young guy. He's a farmer out of Georgia. And I've, I've, I've burned his ears off, I think, with questions. But 
Um, he's just so intelligent and, and, and just so courteous with time to, to talk and, and, and uh, bounce. I can bounce ideas off of him and he always gets back to me. But nonetheless, I, I can't remember the exact ratio, but elemental sulfur will lower your pH so much. So really high magnesium soil accompanied by a high pH, elemental sulfur would probably be the best, assuming you have decent drainage. Um, and then you can start getting into like, well, what about gypsum, um, you know, pure calcium. You could also look at possibly um, some pure calcium liquid products that aren't going to have any impact um, on our, or shouldn't have much impact, if any, on your pH. Um, so there's various um, things that can be impacted there to help manage a high magnesium soil. Well said. And then kind of, you kind of covered it, but the follow-up to that question in our Habitat Chat Facebook group was, are we causing more harm than good by throwing triple 13, you know, broadly at our, at our food plot, at our issues versus a custom fertilizer blend matched to the soil sample? Question seems a little obvious, but I think... Yeah. But I think there's a lot there. I mean, I think it's a good question. Let's break it down. Let's unpack it. Yeah, I think think it's a good question, right? Because why not just do it? Yeah, it's always worked, you know. But possibly adding too much of something can negatively impact something else in the soil, as we just discussed. We don't want our plants to be overly reliant um, on nitrogen, for example. We know that when plants are overly reliant on nitrogen, they get lazy. It's like a guy who uses testosterone to grow big muscles and his body stops producing testosterone. That's the best analogy I can, can come up with. Um, but it, it's very factual. So if a plant is reliant on synthetic nitrogen and you just take it away, right? It's, it's not going to be as effective at mining nutrients and doing all the things we want those plants to do. So um, I think that that's something that we want to make a comment on. The other thing is fertilizers, specifically granular fertilizers, can cause what's called a redox reaction um, because they're, they're salt-based, which is essentially uh, oxidation. A redox reaction is, uh, is either a reduction or oxidation. So it's essentially you're looking at um, gaining or losing an electron. So... What does that mean? Well, in layman's terms, what that's going to mean, um, it can make certain elements less bioavailable. So when iron is oxidized, it becomes very difficult to make it available again. Um, So that's why, yeah, I would say that if you just, yeah, I'm just going to throw out a bunch of triple 13 um, every year, or I, I just, every year I just plant, you know, corn, I just throw out 46000 and see what happens. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you can do it. Uh, but from a soil conservation perspective, um, no, it's, it's, it's probably not a good idea. I think it would be much better to have a custom, uh, fertilizer pro, you know, if you want to continue to use fertilizers, which I do think there's some merit there, especially when trying to focus on base saturations and, and things of that nature, um, you certainly 
want to be cognizant of how it's impacting your other macro and micronutrients in the soil, as well as your microbial health. Again, that's a really good question to kind of bring together how your chemistry can impact your biology and where's that balance. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras. The Habitat Hook from Nation's Creations. Packer Max Cultipackers. Afflictor Broadheads. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. And Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Cooper, host of Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from Hunt Stand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.